welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. We have Owen Barrett with me here today, and he's with Raven, and I'm going to send everybody to your website. So go to joinraven.com, and Raven is spelled R-A-Y-V-E-N, and I have a feeling there's a reason for that as we talk a little bit about everything, but focusing a, a bit on net zero real estate. Owen, really appreciate your time here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I got to ask you, first of all, it sounds like you have had kind of a, a different way in getting to real estate investing. Can you talk a little bit about your background and how you got here? Yeah. So I started out in finance and energy management. So, you know, kind of have this unique skill set to persuade people to do energy projects because it makes financial financial sense to do so. And so I had a corporate job after grad school for about three years, worked for a Fortune 100 company and <clears throat> kind of always had that entrepreneurial bug. So after about three years left to start my own company, had way more success than I thought I would and had a small exit for myself. And after that exit, I had always wanted to get into real estate. You know, everybody reads Rich Dad, Poor Dad or whatever book or podcast gets them into real estate. So I always had this interest in it. I never had any capital and that changed when I had this exit. And so I started thinking about real estate and I explored everything at the time. You know, this was like, almost 10 years ago. So at the time, it was a lot easier, I would say, <laughs> real estate investing wise. So I explored a lot of different opportunities, but the one that I landed on was syndication. And originally, I did not think that my two worlds were going to combine like real estate investing and energy management. But it just so happened that the first deal I was an LP in was a master meter deal in Texas. So the owner had it was one hundred and fifty or two hundred thousand dollars a year they were spending on electricity, and I asked them, you know, what are you doing to get rid of that? Because I had just come from a profession of sort of viewing electricity spend as an opportunity, and they said nothing. I thought that was fascinating. So then I kind of paused my real estate investing career to just go talk to as many sponsors and syndicators and operators as I could, ask them all what they're doing about energy, and they all said the same thing, which is nothing. So I thought there's a really unique opportunity to kind of bring these two worlds together and try and decarbonize real estate by buying it because ultimately it makes our deals cash flow better than, you know, sort of a, a comparable deal without the energy management component. Mm -hmm. Can you give us some examples of, of what are some of those low hanging fruit that you have found in the real estate to help, help properties cash flow where they may not have other, otherwise? Yeah. I mean, I think the simplest one is lighting, but the unfortunate reality with apartments is there's like, there's just not enough lighting on site to really make a significant delta from a dollar perspective. So the one that I talk about the most is solar. That's kind of twofold. Solar generally will impact NOI the most. The other thing is solar is kind of ubiquitous across all properties. Every property will benefit from solar. Not every property will benefit from lighting or from an HVAC upgrade or whatever other type of energy efficiency project you're talking about. So from, from a solar perspective, it works on every property. 
the the lowest return on cash I've ever seen is about 7%. That was in Kansas. And the highest was north of 20. And that was in, I can't remember, but a state with higher cost of electricity. So it works everywhere. And no one is really paying attention to it. And in the environment that we're in now, you know, with a lot of volatility, it's tough to make deals pencil. If you can either increase your income or decrease your expenses via solar, it's just another kind of tool in the toolkit that everyone should have for for being able to get the LP IRR that you need to make a deal pencil. Hmm. So you mentioned that this would work anywhere. As you go north, it it seems to be like it could possibly be less economical because you know I'm up near Fargo, North Dakota. Yeah, we don't have the the summer months like you would in Arizona. Yeah. To to make some of this work. Do you even find that that works in some of the northern states? Yeah, we're actually about to break ground or I don't know what the technical term is. We're about to start installing solar on an apartment we own in Rapid City, South Dakota. Okay. We've evaluated solar in Sioux Falls, South Dakota as well. And so it does work everywhere. What's interesting, you know, middle of the country electricity rates are pretty cheap and what's called solar irradiance. So how much solar is like hitting a particular spot throughout the year kind of fluctuates as you get closer to Texas, the solar irradiance goes is higher than in North Dakota and South Dakota. But what's fascinating is like on New England, for instance, there's a lot of cloudy days, a lot of rainy days. So a lot of people think that solar would would not pencil, but the cost of electricity in New England is three to four times higher than it is in North Dakota. So even though you have probably have fewer sunny days in New England than you do in North Dakota, cost of electricity is higher. So the deal is actually penciled better. So I don't think we've analyzed solar in every single state, but in all the states that we've looked at, which is most of them, the lowest return on cost for just solar itself is about 7%, which is you know pretty good if you're layering that on top of a property that probably doesn't cash flow 7% year one. When you're talking about these type of calculations, how much does government subsidies and and other programs become involved? So before the Inflation Reduction Act, it wasn't a factor at all. My experience is that there's a lot. So there's a federal tax credit associated with solar. That's what's available throughout the country. There are like some cities and utilities have other incentives for solar, but it's not common. So the federal tax credit is the one that applies everywhere. But the problem was most, most real estate people are using cost segs to, to accelerate their depreciation, which is great. And when you do that, you have so much depreciation near one that you don't really need a tax credit. It's, not, it's nice to have in later years, but no one really makes a decision today on like what's going to benefit them in seven years. So we weren't factoring in any tax credits or incentives because solar is also eligible for bonus depreciation. But what's changed since the Inflation Reduction Act is that tax credit is actually transferable now. So now I can sell it to a high net worth individual, to a company that has a tax appetite. There's a little bit of a discount on it, usually 5 to 10%. But if, I, you know, if I'm installing a million dollars of solar and I have a 30% tax credit, so $300,000, I can sell that tax credit at 90% face value and get cash for it. And now that is valuable to me and to LPs because it'll get distributed, you know, via whatever waterfall we have set up. Hmm. 
So when you got into real estate investing, did you start right into the syndication and some of the larger properties yourself? Or were, did you begin in the single family home world? I jumped right to multifamily. And the reason that I did that is real estate on its own doesn't really excite me. I think it's a great way for people to build personal wealth. But personally, I think it's like a pretty boring industry. However, if you add this decarbonization angle to it, which is a big like personal motivator for me, it gets really exciting. But in order to have a big environmental impact, you need to have a massive real estate scale. So buying a single family house and slapping some solar on it doesn't really do anything from an impact perspective. But buying a 235 unit apartment building and then putting solar on that has a huge environmental impact. So I tried to figure out the fastest way to scale. And that was ultimately through partnerships. Hmm. So one of the, you, you, you mentioned decarbonization is one of your goals. I'm not sure where any of these solar panels would be constructed. Are they typically within the United States? They are sometimes. So another thing the Inflation Reduction Act did is it increased that tax credit from 30% to 40% if you use domestic content. Right now, there's not a lot of manufacturers that are building solar panels in the U.S. because it was tough for them to do so. A lot of it's built in China. And so it's hard to get panels built in the U.S. But all of that is changing because of a lot of legislation. And so it's still hard to buy domestic content right now. But this time next year, it should be substantially easier. And all those benefits last for 10 years. So, you know, the next 10 years of solar is going to be a lot of systems that contain American-made product, which is awesome. I'm just curious in the fact that, you know, regarding the decarbonization aspect, we export a lot of things, and excuse me, we export a lot of things to China, not only jobs and manufacturing and whatnot, but sometimes I think we export our carbon footprint over there as well. And that's the situation here. We're having them manufacture these, these panels. I'm not sure what type of economic impact or environmental impact that creates when you're constructing it. But I'd have to say, think it's fairly significant in the construction and in the shipping. Yeah, it's a pretty common misconception. Solar and wind are the only forms of energy currently that have carbon negative footprints, meaning that over their life cycle, if you look at solar for 25 years, which is the average life cycle, it's got a carbon negative footprint. Anything else, wind does too. And that's taking into account where it's made, how it's shipped, everything. Everything else, coal, natural gas, oil, obviously does not. So when you look at the life cycle of all these technologies, it's pretty clear that no matter where it's made or where it's shipped from, it's still better to go solar. That's all going to that's going to get even better when we're making it domestically and not having to ship it across the Pacific. Mm-hmm. So when you are doing your, are you working on a, excuse me, are you working on the next project now? Yeah, we're we're under contract on a couple properties, Sioux Falls. They should close before the end of the year. And then we're about to start installing solar on another one of our projects in Rapid City, South Dakota. We should have that system online before the end of the year as well. So a lot of exciting things going on for us right now and really looking forward to 2024 too. So the the syndication, when you do any of your marketing in that, do you lead with the carbon neutral or the cost savings? What is that type of material do you produce and, and what do you, you typically focus on? 
Yeah, that's a great question. It's a lot of A-B testing. What we found is, you know, the, the sustainability story turns off a lot of people. It's been super politicized. It's like the one topic in the world that should not be politicized. We all want a planet to live on. But for whatever reason, it has. And, and that's unfortunate. And just putting pictures of solar or mentioning eco or green or whatever, you know, sustainability buzzword you want will turn off a lot of investors that don't believe in this stuff. And so we've explored marketing our opportunities with both. We've gone really heavy on the sustainability, you know, solar panel forward. We've just talked about the returns of the real estate. And we know internally that some of those returns are generated through the decarbonization component. I mean, at the end of the day, this technology makes real estate better. So the reason that most investors are in real estate is to make money. If I can make more money or make someone else more money using solar on properties, then it's a win-win. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's kind of refreshing to hear somebody say that because I've been convinced for a long time that if there was any going to be any kind of inroads regarding some of this technology, leading with the carbon neutral aspect, you're talking to business people who it's the bottom line. It's not, that's what the, that's what makes their decision. Yeah. In my, honestly, in my entire career of, you know, 12 years, 11, 12 years in, in sustainability, I've never really once talked about tons of CO2, you know, numbers of trees, polar bears, whatever the environmental metric is. It's always dollars and cents. Always. I agree with you. Like this will not happen if it doesn't make economic sense. Mm-hmm. Just to remind everybody, head over to Raven, joinraven.com. I'll make sure to have that link as clickable in the show notes. It's R-A-Y-V-E-N. And take a look at what Owen and his team are up to. And if you found some value in what we're talking about here so far, do us a quick favor and share it with another investor friend. So I, you, it sounds like you're, you're fairly passionate about this, these projects, Owen. Can you talk a little bit about why? Yeah, I mean, there's a, a good saying, some author who said, I can't remember his name, but you know, they said, people protect what they love. And from my earliest days of childhood, I spent a ton of time outside, played soccer, I was a big hiker, a big mountain biker, a big rock climber. And so I spent a huge amount of time outdoors and seeing what we're doing to the environment is just so disturbing to me. We have it to enjoy now still, but that's not going to be the case forever. And I also have two little girls and the idea that, you know, they can't enjoy some of the places that I've been able to in my lifetime is just, it's super upsetting. So I feel like everybody in real estate, I mean, really anywhere in business, you know, there's a lot of priorities ahead of decarbonization. And I get that. But for something like real estate, where you're buying a community, you know, you're looking over tenants, you have this ability to have an impact beyond your investors returns, just kind of selfish not to do it. And it makes the returns better. So it's, it really is a win win across the board. And, And it gives me, you know, every day, sometimes being an entrepreneur, being in real estate is tough. But if you kind of line up your business with your passions and your principles, even on the hard days, you're happy that you're still doing it. You know, there, there's probably another lesson that, that I'd like to explore here a bit. You've really niched down and found 
your avenue into real estate investing regarding this, would you say that that has made your growth a little easier as you niche down or because a lot of people they get into real estate investing and frankly it is they're just throwing stuff at noodles on the wall and hoping something sticks yeah i mean i think i think you know a lot of people say the riches is in the niches and i 100 percent agree with that i think i was a little bit of salmon-esque kind of swimming upstream like before i started buying real estate I tried to start a consulting company called Value Add Solar. And the whole idea was just to partner with other sponsors and operators and show them if you install solar on this deal, you will increase the project level IRR 200 basis points, which is a lot. And it, it fell on deaf ears. I mean, it's just not an industry that really does anything innovative in my mind. And so I do agree that kind of niching down has helped helped my growth. And I think ultimately it's, it's really going to help in the long run, because I think the companies that are able to be profitable and sustainable are going to do a lot better than just the prop, the companies that are profitable, but have no sustainability story, but it's tough in an industry like real estate where it's just not, most people don't care. And I, and I sort of get it, but I also think, you know, there's a lot of really like innovative ways to increase NOI that people are doing now whether it's bulk internet or, you know, like low flow, low flush toilets was the new thing like six years ago. And now everybody does it. So I just think everyone needs to be a little bit more open-minded to things that are new because you have to be innovative and nimble in order to survive. So yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about our trajectory, but I'm also excited to hopefully see the rest of the industry kind of come along with us slowly. Hmm. You, you know, you mentioned earlier that you, you, most of your career, you were an employer, an employee, and now you're an entrepreneur. How has that transition been? And what was the most difficult aspect? <laughs> it was a rocky transition for sure. I mean, when in my first, the hardest thing is just, you know, the admin stuff, setting up systems to, 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 handle all the administration that you don't like to do, you know, payroll taxes, like things like that. But the the very first year that I went from employee, so there was probably a two year period between being an employee and being a successful entrepreneur. In between that, I was a really unsuccessful entrepreneur. But when I hit that success, I went from, you know, making about a hundred grand as a W2 employee where everything is done for you from a tax perspective to making like, you know, 10 to 20 X that and not having any education about how to minimize taxes. Like, I mean, real estate professionals are pretty good at that. That's like the, the one area of expertise that real estate professionals really lead the pack. But that was, it was, it was a really rocky transition because no one, no one's ready for that. I don't think there's no, that's not in our education system. Like no one talks about tax planning or how to play the game. Because ultimately, you have to know the rules in order to take advantage of them. And it's just this, you kind of have to like self-educate and teach yourself how to do tax strategy and, and you know legal ways to minimize taxes. So that to me was a wake-up call. So there's a whole lot of things that I don't know. I have to network and talk to people that do know it because really expensive lessons to learn. When you were making this transition, it's always important to surround yourself either by like with like-minded individuals or find your support base. 
how was that in your life as you were transitioning? Did you did you find the necessary support? I did, but I don't think it was in the professional realm. I think, you know, my I'm really good at putting my head down and just working. And throughout my entire like academic career, I was I was never a group studier. I was always like a solo studier and just do my thing, learn it, get it done. But I've also always had like an athletic outlet in life. So, you know, college for me was really serious and studious and I did super well, but I played, I played soccer. And so I had like a team of guys that you could talk to and and get stuff off your chest and, and kind of vibe with them that way. And then, so in the entrepreneurship world, I kind of did something similar where I put my head down and I hustled and I grinded. I did what I needed to, but then I would have buddies that I would surf with or go climbing with or grab beers with. So I didn't really have a lot, really any mentors in the professional space that probably would have helped (laughs) to be honest, but I was so, I mean, I'm sure you can relate. Any entrepreneur can relate. Like you're so busy just making money, like doing what it is that you're passionate about, not only because being successful in like accomplishing your task achieves whatever goal you're interested in, but that's also how you make your living. Like you have to work to make money. You have to, you have to earn your own when you're self-employed until you can grow another system that does that for you. And so I was just like overwhelmed with, with earning money because there it was this unique opportunity where it's, it's kind of, we don't need to get into the details, but I just was like a head down mentality and then had to have my network of people outside of work to kind of help me, help me decompress Hmm. Yeah. Well, there's always those times you're going to run into people too. As you're making that transition, and people think you're a little crazy for leaving a good nine to five job. Yeah. You know, I'm in the process of building a a software company right now, and I'm doing the polar opposite of what I did the first time around. Like now, I'm bringing in. I have a lot more experience in the industry. I know a ton of people in the multifamily space. I'm bringing in a group of like rock star advisors to help bounce ideas off of be mentors, like everything I didn't do the first time, because I, I think it will make the journey easier. And I think ultimately it it will make the company more successful than if I try to sort of do what I did the first time, which which is just go it alone. So do you mind sharing what, what type of project do you got yourself into here? Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool actually. So if you think about your average apartment building, doesn't matter how many units it could be. It could be 10 units or 100 units. Most likely, it's sub-metered, meaning that there's one electric meter per dwelling unit. Mm-hmm. And there's probably a common area meter as well. And the way solar ha- like has not penetrated the multifamily industry at all, I think across the US, solar's on about 3% of single-family homes. And... I'd be surprised if it's less than 1% of multifamily properties. And so the reason why is kind of twofold, but a big one is that if you take that 10 unit property and you install solar on it, you're actually installing 10 individual systems because you have to interconnect your solar into each electric meter. And that causes two problems. One is a billing issue. So now you, the owner or your property manager every month has to manually reconcile 
how much electricity each tenant used and then bill them for it. And two, if you if you're not doing that manual process, then you, the owner, are paying for solar, but the tenant is the benefit of solar or gets the benefit of solar. So no owners are going to do that. No owners are going to spend, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars on capex that doesn't benefit them. And so what we're developing is a solution that that eliminates that. So now you install solar on a 10-unit property, a 100-unit property, you know, 500-unit property, and everything is streamlined. So every month, the managers automatically sent a file that says, you know, similar to like how you bill back for water or trash or common area electricity, it'll just add that charge to a tenant's monthly invoice. And by doing so, it adds an income line item for the owner. And so it allows them to monetize the upfront cost to solar, which is the, that's what's missing in the industry right now. Yeah. That's an interesting project. How far along are you? We should have, we should have something working in about four weeks. We're going to install it on our own property first and then you know, probably expand to other owners. Okay. That's, that sounds neat. So based on, you, you know, you said you have a lot of experience now with other investors and you kind of have built out your network. What are some of the bigger challenges now building out that team to build out a software solution? Yeah, man, <laughs> it's hard. It's always hard. I think everyone, it's human nature to think you're more valuable than you are without sounding too callous. Like a lot of people expect that if they can make an introduction, they should have like equity in the company. And to me, mm-hmm. it's like it goes further than that. So it's just a kind of a balancing act of who really needs to be a part of this for it to be successful? Like who are those core people? And that's hard for me too, personally, because, you know, like I don't want to be anyone's enemy. I don't want to, I don't want to make enemies. And so it's tough to, it's just tough to balance human expectations with value and then also build out a company in like a manner that you think is best for not only me, but also the company. So just kind of juggling that has been my current challenge. But you know, some of the some of the advisors that I'm bringing on board are helpful in that because they've built software companies before. So it's not we're not recreating we're not creating anything new. We're just like replicating a system that's pretty common. Mm-hmm. On the information they sent over, and it, it's an intriguing question, so I have to ask it. You, it says, "How can two hundred and fifty dollar investment change climate?" Yeah, so we uh, when we set up Raven, we made a purposeful decision to minimize our investment to make it as little as $250. And the reason that we wanted to do that is, you know, generally when you do a syndication that's like a 506C, the minimum investment is 50,000 or $100,000. It's just out of reach for most people. And so we wanted Raven to be more of, you know, an opportunity that anybody could invest in. And so our, our thinking behind Raven is if you can get the message out and you can show people that they can make 10% annual return and support net zero real estate, that that's a me- message that will resonate with a lot of people. So we wanted to get, you know, raise small dollar amounts for many people rather than large dollar amounts from few people. And so that's why we, that's why we made the floor of the investment pretty low. Hmm. That is interesting. Again, it is joinraven.com. That's going to be a clickable link in the show notes. 
head over to Owen's website for that information. But this has been an interesting conversation, Owen. I, I hope we can close things out here now with some rapid fire questions. Yeah, sounds good. What is one lie real estate investors tell themselves and likely to others? One lie? Yeah. If you find the deal, the money will follow. I have been on that soapbox from the very beginning. I don't know who started that rumor, but it's not true. Yeah. I I can't emphasize enough, and I, I keep pushing the concept. You need to be building your network as fervently as you are finding a deal. That's the yeah, only possible I, way avenue I've been able to find. Yeah, I mean, it's the most frustrating chicken and the egg problem like in the world, but it, it happens to everybody. You could you could have the best deal in the world, and it doesn't matter if you don't know who can write the check. Right. Do you have a book recommendation, or what are you reading right now? I love a book. I haven't read it recently, but it's called Start Something That Matters by the guy that started Tom's Shoes. And it just, you know, it's just, I think it's a really good message. There's so many people out there that are starting businesses, so many people that want to be entrepreneurs. It doesn't have to be environmental sustainability. It can be anything. But I think if you just make a purpose core to a business, it's such a powerful concept. Right. What is one tool you can't live without, whether it's in your business or personal world? Does it make me nerd if I say Excel? (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. I love Excel. If you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that be? Oh man, that's a good question. I, I think it would be, you know, have a side hustle, basically figure out how to make as much money as possible and start investing in real estate as soon as possible. I think I went to business school and in four years of business school, we did not talk about anything outside of like the stock market, hedge funds. I mean, there was nothing real estate related and I find it, and it was a really good business school. I just find it fascinating that it was like totally left out of my entire college education. Nobody ever talked about it. And it's, you know, had you known that that was kind of the path that one of the paths to financial freedom when you're 20, 21 or earlier, like I just would have had a leg up. I, I hate to say that I, sometimes I feel it's by design, but I, I frankly think it's the people who think in those, in those regards, they're off doing something else. And we, we have a tendency of trying to convince other people the same path that you've followed. Yeah. So, so our, our teachers, instructors, they rightfully so, they just have a tendency of focusing on what they've done, what they perceive as successful. And then that's what continues to pass down. I mean, there's no, there's nothing else other than being a cog. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. It's unfortunate, but it's true. In under 60 seconds, can you give everybody one tip or trick they can implement today to have a direct impact on their business? Hire a virtual assistant if you can afford it. It's simple. There's so many things just pile. I mean, just to like expand, there's so many things pile on top of you that take away your time from the most important thing. And if you're spending a bunch of time paying bills or you figure out taxes or, you know, responding to stupid emails that don't matter, it's just taking away from what you can ultimately do that creates value. And I think a lot of people kind of, they have a hard time paying someone, even if it's, you know, 10, 15 bucks an hour to to do things that they're like, I could just do that myself. It's like, yeah, you could Mm -hmm. do it yourself, 
but it's ultimately going to allow you to do less things that are way more important. And so I think if I, if I were told myself that earlier, it would have made my life a lot easier. You know, that's really interesting. You bring that up because there's more times than not, we talk about financial freedom, but in the end, we're, we're trying to regain time, right? That is like the biggest or most scarce commodity that we individually have. Yeah. And, um, it's 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 that type of investment that I don't think people even grasp as to the type of return you could possibly see. Yeah, I think also too, it's like a lot of times successful people are really cheap, mm-hmm. uh, and I think even like the idea of of just spending an insignificant amount of money on on a virtual assistant is something that a lot of people won't do. Right. Well, Owen, is there a question or concept you wish we would have covered here today? No, I think this was great. Good job hosting. Well, I appreciate your time. You're welcome back anytime. Again, it's joinraven.com. That's going to be clickable link in the show notes. Really appreciate it, Owen. Great to meet you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Have you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing? If so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.